Hey there, everybody, and welcome to episode number 14 of the Knuckleheads podcast. I'm Nico. And I'm depressed. <laughs> Here we go. This is, this is, uh, this is the Knuckleheads podcast. Knuckleheads podcast. Let's go. We come to you in a place lower than I thought was possible 14 games into an NHL season. Excluding Ottawa. Up until this point of the year, the Canucks have allowed 52 goals in 11 games and just got absolutely pantsed by 37-year-old Jason Spezza. Like, destroyed. It reminded me of his $700,000. You know what? It was one thing in 2007 to get burned by Jason Spezza for a hat trick. Mm -hmm. It's another thing when it's 2021. And Jason yeah. Spezza, who's making $700,000 a year, was literally on waivers. Yeah. Is absolutely burning your ass. Just uh, destroying our defenders as if we had no clue how to play hockey. And not to mention the fact that anytime the Canucks see <laughs> another C logo across the way from them, they forget <laughs> how to play the game. <laughs> Tyler Toffoli clearly was deeply... Deeply, personally offended by Jim Benning when, when Jim Benning told him his dog Dodger to fuck off on the way out of town, apparently, or something like that. <laughs> Continued to burn the Canucks last week. And Foley may single-handedly get Jim Benning fired. I, I, he honestly might. And I, I looked at the schedule. We only play the Canadians four more times. Oh, thank so God. <laughs> I add like a minimum to Foley will get another 100 points against us. <laughs> The man has eight goals in five games against the Vancouver Canucks this year. He's got to be I mean, to be fair, Jason Spezza has a better goals per game average against the Canucks <laughs> than Tyler Toffoli to this point. We're versing the Leafs two more times after this. Yeah, including on Saturday. We are coming to you after game one of the first uh, game here. And, you know, once again, we thought, let's try to pull this trick out again. After that last Montreal series, we were going to do a podcast. We're like, you know what? That was horrible. Let's wait. And, you know, Ottawa was a nice tonic that soothed all our nerves. We followed that up with the Canucks single best game of the year in Winnipeg. And then we they came back to Montreal. And we thought this will be the chance to see which of the two teams we'd seen up to that point. That Ottawa-Winnipeg team versus the Montreal-Edmonton-Calgary team. And the Canucks have shown, I think, in their third stanza here. That so far they're leaning a lot towards the defensively passive and just mind-numbingly stupid team at times. Yeah, that we saw the first few weeks. I was I was excited by the Jets win, and it made me hopeful because, like I, I said before, I think the the Canadians and the Leafs we know are hard. So I was really hoping that the Jets win was going to tell me a lot, and it was a great win. But I've learned more from these three losses. That was the bubble team that we saw against Winnipeg. And that team, outside of that one game, has not been here in, what, 14 games in so far? So you're the overwhelming evidence would point to say that that team is a mirage, yeah. and that the real team is defensively passive. Just allows more cross-ice passes in zone than any team I could re- remember seeing in the last number of seasons just brutal turnovers like really like on like 
like unthinkable turnovers where you're like, how how in the world would your chain of logic lead you to make that pass? JT Miller forcing things up the middle of the ice, getting frustrated, and then losing his cool in his play. And Pedersen kind of coming in and out of dominance and then otherwise ineffectiveness. So I looked right into now. it and I was like, how could I have been so wrong about our defense this year? And injuries aside, we don't have defensive-minded defenders. Myers is big, but he's never been someone to make smart defensive plays. We knew Schmidt was coming in more offensively. He's is obviously the best offensive defenseman in the league, in my opinion. But there's a reason we get these goals scored on us. And it's not necessarily that the other, te- the other teams are great, but we are causing it. And, I mean... I'm wondering if Edler's really, if he's lost a step, and that's happening now. And that's this team cannot afford Edler to lose that step. He's already slowed down, but if he loses the step where you can just beat him off the rush, like Jason Spezza beat Alex Edler off the rush. And I'm like, that can't be happening. That can't be happening on multiple levels. Edler is younger than Spezza. <laughs> He slashed him pretty brutally at the end of the game there. Alex Edler was not happy with the uh, the night that the Canucks just had, which is too bad because he just moved into fifth place on the Canucks all-times games played list. But... There was actually, there was a play, oh, I don't remember which game it was, but it was it was Chatfield getting scared and passing Edler the puck, and Edler basically had to chuck it up just to get rid of it because it was such a bad position to be in. And it just reminded me that, yeah, Edler's gotten to play with some pretty good defensemen and he's probably really frustrated right now. I mean, I imagine every single guy in that dressing room is immensely frustrated at the moment. It's, it's a really almost shocking start to the season, to be honest. Like I expected the Canucks to be a poor defensive team, a below average defensive team. I expected there to be nights where they struggled and they did. And to show that tale of two teams to a certain extent, where some nights they're real on it and some nights they're just not there. But what we've seen has been so much more confusing and I think therefore more concerning in that, like, I know JT Miller, he's 13 points in 11 games, but he has been bad. You know, isn't that crazy? He had a nice goal tonight, granted, but I mean, the rest of the game, he's forcing passes up the middle. He has led a number of just like bad turnovers, bad passes through the middle, where he's just forcing things as a result. And it's almost like you need to calm down. Like you need like that energy, that stick to itiveness that we loved about Miller last year is seemingly harming him this year. He had one beautiful shifty assist uh, within the Jets game. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he has looked bad at times, but he's also looked like himself at times. And keep in mind, like there's a, there's a reason we got him for a pretty good deal at the time. Like he, Yes, last year was a, a big breakout for him. And I I was worried that maybe we were too excited about him, but I, I think he still has it in him. I think that line still likes playing together. Um, I'll be honest, as rough as it's been, so since the last one, uh, beat the Jets 4-1, lost 6-2 to the Habs, 5-3 to the Habs, and now 7-3 to the Maple Leafs. I'm still hopeful. I'm still hopeful. The team's 6-8 and eight now. Mm-hmm. They got over 500 for a quick second. The four-game winning streak and then now followed it up again with a three-game losing streak. I mean, once again, sure, they're not dead in the water quite yet. But, I mean, 
like this is a, over like a very very concerning stead here and i mean i feel like they've reached the point multiple points 14 games into the season right now where you need to stop out snap out of this you need to wake up that so, frustration in that dressing room is going to be at an all-time high right now and the people gotta have to be crackling at each other and they've really reached a make or break point of the year where they're either going to break as a team or they're going to come together and figure something out and i feel so, like we've said that too many times into this year already Here's my question for you. What is it going to take to make the playoffs this year? I, I looked at the numbers. Let's say in <laughs> this world, right. let's say we, in this world, we play, so we play the Leafs eight more times and the Canes four more times. Let's say we lose all of those games, right? Ugh. The Flames eight, Oilers eight. Let's say we split that 50-50. The Jets eight and the Senators six. Let's say we beat and we win all of those. So then we would finish the season at 28 and 28. Is that that's enough to make the enough. playoffs? No, that's not enough to make it. It's not. No, no, because four of the seven teams are going to make it. I know and, four uh, of the seven teams. So we have Canadians, Leafs, they'll make it. Jets, we would be fighting with the Oilers and the Flames for that fourth mm-hmm. slot. The Oilers are 500, Flames are 500. We're below, but we could end there. I'm just saying. <sighs> the issue is, though, quite simply, is like, like, I don't even know if it's a structural problem right now. It's difficult to discern what the defensive issue is. Like, other than just really bad play. Like, <laughs> this is as simple as, like, they're not playing well. And, I mean, this team needs to shake up, shake up right now. And the real issue is, instead of a normal season, you're making a trade right now. You're bringing somebody. Like, you're making a move. But Benning doesn't really have that card to play at the moment. Because any guy he does trade for is going to have to quarantine for at least two weeks, which, as we've seen so far this year, can be a lifetime, and the whole season can change in two weeks. So you brought up a good name there. Do you want to elaborate a little bit more on the name you brought up? Uh, Bim Jennings? Yeah. Bim Jennings. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I don't even know where Bim Jennings from. Oh, man. All right. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Uh, Realistically, I don't think Jim Benning's going to get fired over the next 24 to 48 hours. But, I mean, that man's got to be sweating hard. And this has been pretty much the nightmare scenario for the start for his Canucks. Tyler Toffoli, who came into the season and has absolutely ripped up the Canucks for what is a very reasonable contract for the Montreal Canadiens over the next four years. And today, to just compound matters, and I mean, you know, like everything you hear about Jim Benning, apparently he's a very, very likable guy. Mm-hmm. The man is mm-hmm. shit at dealing with media and it's always been bad. And he has his propensity to put, to put his foot in his mouth and said in regards to the Tyler Toffoli situation that they just Ooh. kind of ran out of time. That was rough. Oh. Which is an unacceptable answer and a real indictment upon his management skills. And it speaks to exactly the criticisms that I've had about him, that his greatest critics have had about him. It's his inability to multitask and to manage multiple situations, which I mean is the fucking job, to be honest. <laughs> like it's literally I feel dumb. like GMs GMs get too much credit and too much blame often for scouting. Mm-hmm. Because scouting is very much a team activity. It's its own department, and the really. GM, yeah, true. And I mean, like, the, obviously, Jim Benning comes from a scouting background. So he 
And that was obviously a huge issue in the end between Brackett and Benning, so that Benning liked to be involved in that. So you're going to give him credit for it, no doubt. But I mean, just because he's good at that one part of the job doesn't make up for the fact that his other, his man management skill, skills, his contractual management capability, his just ability to multitask and manage multiple negotiations on at the same time in what is a difficult and increasingly complicated NHL landscape where you're managing situations where teams are doing things that are dependent upon other things happening. So when you get your opportunity, you got to be ready to move and you got to move quick and you got to like build up and as a result, put in the groundwork to have multiple situations, multiple options. So when a situation arises, you can act and their off season. I mean, even in the first podcast of the year, I didn't even really want to get into it because it was so upsetting and so frustrating. But the fact that this team's performed so badly to begin this year and has really laid to bear the actual consequences of their failure to act. I mean, they went into last offseason with what? Toffoli, Markstrom, Tanev, and Stetcher. Mm-hmm. as kind of the four guys, right? Yep. Markstrom and Tanev, once they got up to that point, I was not surprised to see them leave. It was very much a contractual issue. I understand that. The Toffoli thing, once again, they just ran out of time. How are you not? Can you not manage multiple negotiations at the same time? How do you not have a deal ready to go in the extent that you move money? You have time to move money. You could have signed him and then move money after. Yeah. The Toffoli thing made no sense. He fit great with our guys. There was chemistry and we were building something. And this is where I am so torn on what to do with this situation. What would you do? Moving forward here? Yeah. Well, I'd fire him. Honestly, at the end of the season, I... Because he clearly is demonstrating... Like, he fucked up here and he really screwed up with an opportunity that the Canucks could have taken a step forward in an ideal world. They could have taken a step forward. They were the hot team of the bubble. Everybody's talking about them. They had an opportunity. Honestly, there was the best market value in free agency that I can remember almost ever this past offseason because the flat flat salary cap squeezed so many teams. Granted, I understand that it's impossible to predict that. There's no way you could have predicted it. But it underscored the fact that by them giving up $3 million contracts to bottom six aging forwards was a poorly thought idea, poorly thought out idea from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. I understand that, you know, the idea of having Jay Beagle around the locker room is like a good guy. You got to lean on a veteran presence, having Antoine Roussel bring a little bit of like of energy and feistiness to the planet. Those are valuable things. But the issue is when you're like committing sizable parts of your cap to these players, when you're, still not close to competing at the time. And realistically, we're going to be a couple years away from it in an ideal world. It was unbelievable then. Like, Jay Beagle, at no point, ever realistically lined up with the Canucks contending window from where they signed him. Oh, yeah. No, not at all. And then they hit the jackpot, honestly. And they got Pedersen and Hughes, who have turned out to be franchise pillar at the fifth and seventh slots. And they've, as rookies, become franchise pillars. That's a huge get. That's unbelievable. That changes your thing. But it just goes to show that you got to be ready to take advantage of that when it's there. These guys are making like a million dollars this season. They're the greatest market inefficiency in the league. 
when you have a chance with guys making that little money, it's just like, it's like indentured servitude for the first three years. You have a chance to really get on top, do you what Colorado's to tried to do. Yeah. And just try to make kind of luxury purchases. Build the Extra perfect little team bit of things. while you can. But the issue is going to next year now, they're still going to be in the same cap bind. Yeah. And they're still going to have issues moving money. And they're not in a position where they can just deal out a first round pick to move out Louis Erickson's contract. Because as we're seeing this year, that might end up being a top 10 pick. And you cannot do that. Oh, no. You cannot. So I was I was ready to disagree with you. You added a small caveat quickly. You said end of the season. Because I, I really think we, we shouldn't fire him now. I think this season has to be about consistency. And like you said, we've built a good core. We like our core. Uh, so... I really do want to give him the benefit of the doubt as best I can, but you can't be saying ran out of time. Like you said, it's just been not here for an answer. Seven years now. I know. And but, he's one of the longest tenured GMs in the league, but we his... built a nice group of young guys. Largely, honestly, but things really, really, really bouncing his way. The <laughs> Pedersen and Hughes development is shocking. I like none of us really saw them turning out to be, the Maybe he did. Top twenty-five Maybe players. Maybe he in the did. League. Maybe he did. We can all hope. We can all hope so. But I mean, really, scouting at the end of the day is large part like luck of the draw. And uh, you know, he played, and he's managing a team in the Canadian market that's got resources to put into player development, and then they succeeded in that. He's I, I honestly see very little noise in this market towards Travis Green and anybody calling for his job which is pretty remarkable considering the fact that the team's greatest issue is just defensive structure. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's almost kind of a mature take by the market because we're all praising this guy just a couple of months ago as one of the hot, great young coaches in the league really gets that Canucks team together. That miniature training count got a strong defensive lineup leaned on the right guys and they came through and we're all looking like, wow, Travis Green's one of the great young improving coaches in the league. And you come out, and I don't think this is really just defensive structure. It's an honestly a personnel issue. Jalen Chatfield, I'm sorry, God love him, was not good enough. To be on to be even getting minutes, which he is. Yeah. Yeah. We they've had a number of things bounce their way. They're getting minutes out of Jordy Ben, which was not a certainty this year. He's mm-hmm. played all right so far. Mm-hmm. But then you look at the bending guys that he's signed, like Tyler Myers is making six million dollars this season, and that is garbage. It was a bad. It was a bad contract the day he At signed. At the time, it. yeah. Like that's the thing. Like this isn't like a lot of like. There's so much thinking we do in sports where we look at the end result, but it doesn't really account for the process. And it's like, well, I would have made that same decision, and then it didn't turn out. And I mean, so much of sports, honestly, it's just things bouncing your way. The thing that Benning rightly deserves credit for is every single one of these moves, him signing these older slowing bottom end six bottom like bottom six players guys like tyler myers these big deals is that they were roundly criticized at the time by the same people who are criticizing criticizing him now like i feel like this is an easy a to b chain of reasoning that this was going to be a problem and that these guys you were signing while all understandably great seemingly guys like great guys good locker room guys but don't have what it takes to bring a productive energetic bottom six and allow for the Canucks to add top end, top six players under a reasonable salary cap situation. I mean, it's the name of the game. 
So the way that the league's run now for the last like 15 years, I don't understand how you don't prepare for that. Like how, and the fact that as well, it's come out this week. I mean, a lot of people who are unhappy with Benning have really taken their time to jump out and throw a few, uh, few tomatoes at him. So I do feel bad for him for that, but Canucks insider Rick Dollywell was talking earlier this week and he's plugged in and has spoke to how both Stetcher and Tanov were upset with the way that their negotiations were handled. And when have you ever heard Tanov complain about anything? Yeah. The fact that this has come out has clearly come out from Tanov to his agent to Rick Dollywell, which they is were insane. unhappy with the way that, and like, how do you treat Chris Tanov like that? That's like, if thing. you're not going to sign him, I get that, but you got to be, you got to be just be honest with him. Like, this is what we're prepared to offer. If you're not going to take it fine. But I don't understand how you're like running your business where you're like, oh, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see if we can clear the money, we'll see if we can clear the money, we'll see if we can figure out what you can and can't to get ahead of these issues. They're all eminently predictable. Well, and not to mention, if ever there was a season like the like you said, these are these are really nice guys from what we've seen. I I, I don't want to say necessarily they, they would have taken pay cuts to stay because I don't know, but so much of the GM's job is facilitating these relationships and nourishing them and doing whatever you can every single step of the way to the point where even if they do go, they still say that's the best GM ever. So anytime you hear something like this, it says a bigger picture for the entire team, especially my fear is all we need right now. We, we like our first power play line. We have five guys we feel great about. We have PD, we have Hughes, we have Besser, we have Miller and we have Horvat, even though actually I think Toffoli was on that first power play for a bit last year. So it's shocking to let go of someone that is fitting with your top six when you have that so locked in. So I just want to make sure that all of our stars stay happy. And if he's not doing that, then for sure. End of the season. I mean, look, you hear people like Masai Ujiri talk about organizational build, organization, organizational building, like not just roster building, but like organizational, organizational culture building, mm-hmm. attitude building. And granted, in my opinion, he's maybe the greatest North American sports executive right now. So I'm not expecting or asking Jim Mending to be Masai Ujiri. But it just seems like the borderline baseline principles and the ideas that Masai Ujiri talks about seem either foreign to Benning or just that he's incapable of implementing them. I mean, like, like, where's this, like, team culture, this organizational attitude that they're trying to inflict? What is the Canucks organizational attitude? What's their style? What's their identity? What's the Canucks identity? I don't know. I will say I start to, I really agree with you, but I do start, and it does start at the top. I do start to look towards the coach with that kind of stuff too, though. And that I think Greener is, is a great go. coach, and he's had some amazing amazing things he's done with the the young team that we we've had but it's just looked too ugly this year and if the guys are looking unmotivated at times i look at the coach sometimes i don't want him to go i don't want him to go at all and i know he's got a, a hard thing to work with but i want us to have a good year this year we have stars like that's that's what this league needs and we're not showing up see that would be the one real unfortunate a potential side casualty of this if because I honestly more and more become fully convinced that like if this team's going to win a cup I don't think Benning has the capability of leading them to it because at the end of the day winning a cup is about little like you create the core 
granted, that's the tough work. And you know what? To give him credit, he's brought a lot of that core here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's the difference between a good team, a playoff team, and a cup winner is then all the moves around the margins. Yep, exactly. It's bringing in like with, that's with what the, the Lightning had to Capitals. figure out. That's what the Capitals had to figure yeah. out. Yeah, the Lightning bringing Blake Coleman. Mm-hmm. They bring in Pat Maroon. Like they bring in all these like legit productive bottom six guys. Pat Maroon came in for like less than a less than a mil. Yeah, and he made a big difference in the playoffs. Yeah, they're bringing in. I mean, like they understood how to build a roster. They learned from their mistakes. They tried things, and then they were constantly adjusting the approach. And there's a clear, long-term, coherent plan with an organization that seems to be in at least a decent amount of alignment. The Washington Capitals, when they go on their run, they make a little death pick up. A guy like Michael Kempney, mm-hmm. just as like who a guy who you think like, oh, this is like a, just a solid defensive pickup for depth, and he ends up playing a top four role for them throughout the playoffs. It's just smart, intelligent pickups like that. It's just having a clear attitude, and then when you when you're able, like any good team that wins has a clear identity. Um, what that helps with is then when you're trying to figure out. Who are we going to bring in to bring this team to the next level or who can help us become a, just a better all around team, a more, uh, more a team with more depth. It's way easier if you have an identity and an attitude to bring that player into. I know like those are buzzwords and all this like kind of more vague speak, but the real things that when you see people who are intelligent and understand what they really mean and have coherent understandings of that, they become real things. But when you're just talking about like culture and attitude and identity in vague terms, and you're like, this is something we want. But like, what is that to you? What it, can you coherently explain to me, tangibly explain what that is to me? And that team, this management group hasn't been able to do that and come through. And so with all that said, though, we do agree for this season, keep it consistent. The world is too well, hard to predict. We'll keep things consistent and see what happens. So we got two more I, games against wait. the Leafs and then four against the Flames. I don't know if I see personally, I'd fire him right now. Cause I think like, per, like, uh, but I would have fired him three years ago. So I wouldn't be in this situation in the first place. Granted. I understand. I would be shocked though, if they did fire him before the year, I mean, the intelligent thing to do would be to eat it, to eat his contract. Cause like, if you make this decision now, you're like, this is not, the guy like this is clearly there's something wrong you gotta get at least like go in a direction where then he's not continuing to meet like what you would perceive as actively harmful or actively important long-term decisions to the roster when you know he's not going to be the guy seeing through those long-term decisions but it kind of handcuffs your organization if you know what i mean you do but, it now. You're competing against the Penguins, and you have a lot of coaches that are still. No, in you contract. don't. You don't hire a GM right now. What you do is you kind of bring in a care, a care, a caretaker. Sorry, <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't speak at all right there. Anyway, so care. You bring in a caretaker, but Aquilini. I mean, they've slashed salary pretty significantly here over this year. They've slashed the organizational size, as you well know. Um, Aquilini's penny pension right now. He's not going to fire Venning. So I just like know that's unrealistic. I just know that's not gonna happen. He's not gonna eat the he's not gonna bite the money. He's not gonna bite the bullet. So Benning's gonna be here till the end of the year. My hope is that I mean the fan pressure on this situation right now must be pretty unbearable. They, like he everyone in the organization can feel this. And it's deeply like it's not good. 
And I mean, as a Canucks fan, it sucks. It's real tension. And that's why I think the only thing we can do right now, because I agree, I don't think he's going anywhere, uh, is the fact that we just lost 7-3. Matthews and Marner looked hella good. Ugh. How are we going to come um, back to this? Do you, do you, you think know, we're winning one of these next two or no? I hope so. I mean, they should. Like, they you still better. have the skill. And one, like, and then every once in a while, this team comes out. You're like, oh, yeah, this is the bubble team. This is the team that beat the defending Stanley Cup champions. Mm-hmm. Um, But, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's funny. Whenever I watch Matthews, somehow, I mean, outside of Toronto, Matthews has become maybe one of the more underrated players in the league. It's crazy. I mean, he had yeah, some injuries that quieted him for a bit, but yeah. True, but he's like probably a top three player in the league. Like he's closer to McDavid than I think most people would realize. Mm-hmm. And or some people would argue that he's better than McDavid. I mean, in Toronto, obviously gets talked about a lot because he's in Toronto. But I, I feel would, like the Toronto anti-Toronto bias then like reflects upon Matthews. I would never say he's better than McDavid, but no, I definitely agree he's under underrated. He's um, better so- all around player, certainly, too. I mean, if you'd rather you'd rather McDavid though. I would just because McDavid's top end talent, yeah, because he does yeah. things that no one else in the world can do. But I, I mean, mean, Matthews, like you like, see, there were a few like times, six tonight. times this yeah. season that McDavid's done end to end rushes sure. for like no reason other than he can. He just starts at one end. The whole other team is trying to get him. He goes through. It's insane. It's beautiful. I know. I saw someone tweet out a high, highlight reel of his first ten games of the year, and you're like, for most people, this would be a career. Oh yeah, like real right here. Five careers combined. Yeah, I know, but I mean, honestly, like a, a good Matthews comparison is that he's just kind of like Horvat on steroids with a better shot. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good comparison. They're honestly more similar than people realize, but he's just like better. He's bigger and he's stronger. And he's faster. He's got a better, better shot. shot. <laughs> <laughs> so he's better. Matthews' ass though isn't quite as big as Horvat's. I will. Give, I will say that. I'll give that to Horvat. However. He's a hell of a player, and I mean, his first goal tonight was just spectacular. Just out of nowhere, just ate JT Miller alive, too, once again. And uh, and as you say, Mitch Marner. Mitch Marner is like a lot like Quinn Hughes. Yeah. They're just like fun players to watch. They skate really well. They're smaller, but with like really low centers of gravity, and they do things that you're like, I don't know how you spun out of that and found your way out with the puck, but... Yeah, it's so true, I mean, actually. He's fun to watch, nonetheless. That's what Hughes would look like if he was playing forward. That's how he would True. how he would handle himself. I like well, him at D though. I think we should move on to a bit more of a positive story than what it, than what are the Vancouver Canucks right now. Mm-hmm. And that is the fact that the NHL has one less fascist, racist asshole in it. Oh yeah. For the time being, he'll be right back in the league, I'm sure. But for those of for those of you who don't already immediately pick up on what we're talking about, but the one and the only Anthony D'Angelo, defenseman. Of the New York Rangers, formerly of the New York Rangers, kind of kind of the New York Rangers at the moment, I'd say. He's sort of in purgatory at the moment for being an asshole. Absolutely. Noted, noted Trump supporter and mm-hmm. COVID denier mm-hmm. and just dick. That's also a big, big part of this that I feel like it's underplayed at times. Like, obviously, Shit he's a teammate. Ra- he's but yeah, I know. <laughs> just he's an asshole to everybody, too. Mm-hmm. It was suspended twice in the OHL for using racist slurs. Yeah. I saw uh, like an interview, like a stated interview with his dad, where his dad was like, you know, I think Anthony uses it because he hears me use these slurs. And, you know, I'm not saying it's right, but I, I grew up, you know, we're, we come from Philly and that's 
that's just the way we said it. i'm not saying it's right but it's just the it's just the way we talk and i'm like of course it's not right man <laughs> like that that's what what is that it's so it, it's insane to me that he was able to stay i guess in his career path for as long as he did considering how clear it is that he's a bad like teammate all around like he yeah. always has been uh, but what's shocking, and I'm so excited that he should be out of the league. What's shocking is, like you said, I think he's going to get picked up. He's already been picked up in our fantasy league, which I was like, they wow. Screwed over a lot of fantasy. I was like, I say that. They were like, I did not realize D'Angelo was that nuts. <laughs> but he's been picked up in our fantasy league. People are already counting on him to come back. Someone and, drop uh, him? Yeah, yeah. yeah well, good for Brandon. But guess who uh, the team that the New York Post thinks uh, the Rangers have a trade partner in? Calgary Flames. Calgary Flames. That'd be hilarious. That would be insane. <laughs> they would be they would be the most hated team in the league. Yeah, they yeah, did get picked up. Come on, Isaac. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, actually, they would be. They'd have Kachuk and Kachuk and yeah, right? I didn't even Realize that they'd have Canada yeah, hating them f- and the states f- hating them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that would not be great for team culture, I'd say. I mean, I think at yeah, some point you just good. double down. Maybe they're just thinking we're already shit show over here. That's gross. I mean, look, it is Alberta. It is Calgary. That's as Texan as you can come within Canada. But goddamn, <laughs> it's a bit much of help. <laughs> That's, I don't want to see Anthony D'Angelo that much, especially when we can't even boo him in person. But um, yeah, he <laughs> seems pretty unrepentant. So, oh no, yeah, he's not going to come out with an apology. No, nope. no, not at all. And, um, I mean, let's just kind of go over the initial, the final story that got him kicked out. And I mean, there was a lot of misinformation that came out about his tenure with the Rangers. And honestly, there's a lot of things that aren't known for sure as to like why else he was waived. Because um, I mean, like David Quinn, the Rangers coach, said initially upon waiving him that it, it was not the result of simply one incident. It was the result of a continued pattern of behavior. What the Rangers' official reasoning has been is that after uh, after um, benching him and scratching him for the second and third game of the season, after he took an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty in the first game, that the Rangers general manager Jeff Gordon said that he quote unquote could not couldn't get past it. He couldn't <laughs> move past that initial benching, and continued to be an all around dick and asshole. <laughs> And uh, then after a game against the Pittsburgh Penguins in which Anthony Delangelo and Alexander Gorgiev, a quick shout out to Alexander's and everywhere, uh, <laughs> had a miscommunication behind the net that ended up leading to a Penguins overtime winner. And oh. apparently as they were leaving the ice, Delangelo had a sarcastic assholey comment to Gorgiev, who then responded by punching him in the face, which uh, 100%, 10 out of 10 credit to you don't do shit like that to the goalie, eh? I mean, not to get on the soapbox about that when it's a known racist who's done other asshole things, but still. But it was a great clip to see. I'm glad he got punched in the face. What's new, great New too, favorite goalie. Yeah, wait, actually, what you should search up and find is after the Rangers game tonight, as Shesterkin and Panarin were leaving the ice, <laughs> Shesterkin walks off before Panarin and as Panarin uh, steps off just goes around and like pretends to fight him and punch him (laughs) 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 pretends to attack Panarin and like mock D'Angelo so that goes to show he was clearly not the most 
popular teammates within the Rangers dressing room. That's funny. Yeah, so good for uh, good for the Rangers Russian. Well, I don't know if Gorgia is Russian or not, but let's talk about the rest of the league. I mean, just uh, just down from the Rangers, the well, New Jersey. They're not playing. It's falling apart. Is the rest of the league, man? <laughs> it's not gonna finish. It's not gonna finish. It's concerning right now. I'm not gonna lie. So as of this recording, uh, up until this point in the year, nearly a hundred players have been put on the COVID reserve list at some point throughout the season. Uh, five, three teams are not playing at all for the next week or so, being New Jersey, Buffalo, and Minnesota. Five teams are missing a number of players due to uh, COVID restrictions. I'm forgetting, I think Washington's another, and I'm forgetting the other one. And uh, yeah, it's uh, not going well. I I said it pretty early on. You have to go with Canadian teams in fantasy because the American teams are not going to get a season in. Uh, Samsonov has, is still on the COVID protocol list. I, I think it's been over two weeks. So was he even quarantining? Like what was going on with that? Uh, I'm actually worried about some of these guys that maybe like they're having real health problems. Oh, that's the other, that's the other thing too. I mean, we've seen in every other sport, certain guys get COVID come back and they're clearly affected, mm-hmm. which I got like, I mean, that's not unsurprising there. We, there's still so many things we don't know about how this affects people. I mean, there was that early on study of a uh, university of football players at I forget which American college that they were found to have some degree of lung damage. Mm-hmm. I don't know about the follow-up studies about that, but I mean, it just kind of goes to show that there are a lot about the long-term effects and also just affects people differently. So there are a number of players that it's just going to kind of write off the year afterwards. And, and this is all to be said, I'm happy that the NHL is like calling games pretty quick if they don't think that's safe, then they're just going, all right, postpone it. We'll figure it out later. Keep people oh. safe. But they're doing that for a lot of games. Saying that, but they've got late on a few. And Buffalo Buffalo seemingly mm-hmm. was exposed to New Jersey through the games. Which is terrifying. Not good. And Buffalo is upset about it, understandably so, because they wanted information from the NHL on the Sunday. And then it was just slow on tests. So they're looking to now try to institute rapid testing at games. The issue is that the trouble they're having trouble finding a supply that could then maintain the quota for everyday rapid testing. So they're in a bind right now. They're really in a tough situation. And, uh, to a certain degree, I mean, the NHL season is teetering. I mean, we should also talk about the fact that the NWHL, which was having a fantastic run of it in its own uh, situation in Lake Placid, trying to get a mini tournament together, have some <laughs> games on NBC, get some positive press about the league going, and then that whole tournament gets covered due to mm-hmm. COVID. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. So for all those of you who thought uh, 2020 was just the end of all the shitty things i'm sorry to say but it it makes me wonder here it makes me wonder how the nfl got their season done i mean how many guys actually got it that we don't even know that's a good point um so i mean that's exactly why this season is a ridiculous season i mean yeah and there's been like increasingly increasing friction between the nhlpa and nhl over some of the restrictions and whatnot like the nhl was trying to mandate that you can only show up to a game an hour 45 before but the issue is like a lot of guys show up three hours before and rightfully pointed out that like a lack of preparation time would potentially lead more to more injuries yeah. yeah so that doesn't really make a lot of sense i mean 
I mean, the but, prep that these guys do in the in the area and in the vicinity with trainers and whatnot, they have routines that are like very important, but it's just, it's just too hard of a year. It's just a reality of like the fact that you're trying to play a professional league throughout what is the heart of a pandemic. I yeah. mean, the simple fact that you look at when the NHL was doing its bubble, its bubble in the summer, it was much, much safer time throughout all of North America in regards to the disease. And I mean, we are hopefully coming towards a bit of a, the tail end of the heart of the pandemic through January and uh, this past December and, and the last fall. But uh, I mean, you still look at some of the rates around the States, especially, and even into Canada. I mean, Luckily, the Canadian, I mean, Vancouver's been the only Canadian team that's been affected so far, other than the situation of Pierre Luc Dubois in Winnipeg, who has yet to play yet. But yeah, which if he brings it to Winnipeg's team, <laughs> you imagine that would, that would be not insane. be a great trade. I mean, well, let's get on to some of those, uh, those, some of those trade requests here. I mean, after Pierre Luc Dubois and Patrick Line shook up the league here. We've got two more Canadian teams dealing with trade requests in Cal- in, in Calgary and Sam Bennett. Mm-hmm. Noted Canuck killer and playoff <laughs> legend, seemingly, Sam Bennett. <laughs> and Canadian, whose whole team are Canuck killers, Victor Mete. Yep. Both have requested trades. And, I mean, that's pretty interesting for the NHL in a league where it's rare. It's kind of exciting because I, I, think, I think the NHL will start having more of that kind of stuff but these aren't big enough players to to start that chain reaction uh i i'm not even i don't think i any trades that come out of these will affect the teams involved well i mean look sam bennett is a guy who in the regular season seemingly is a decent third third liner and then in the playoffs is a monster somehow i don't understand how (laughs) that works at all but he has value for that playoff value simply alone. And he was Brad Trey living the Calgary general manager's first ever pick there. And, uh, and that's the team that struggled in the playoffs and definitely is in need of anything of more playoff performers like Sam Bennett. And then you have Victor Mete, a Quebecois guy playing for the Montreal Canadians. who just can't get in the lineup right now. I mean, it's one of the big issues that the uh, Elliot Friedman spoke about in the last 31 thoughts podcast is that this may be a year where you get, a few more trade requests because a lot of guys just aren't playing that in combination with the taxi squad, there are a lot of guys just sitting around NHL arenas and dressing rooms because guys who are scratched are getting moved and shuttled back and forth between the taxi squads and rosters. So it's in some ways, it's basically just expanded the roster for the, at least the beginning part of the season until they get the AHL up and running. Yeah, pretty much. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so that's going to lead to a situation where a lot of guys who otherwise feel like they should be playing, there's just more competition for jobs within rosters. And so, I mean, like, look at the, look at the turnover, the number of defensemen we've seen on the Canucks back yeah. end. Oh, so what's happened to you, Levy, by the way? Is he hurt? So uh, I legit realized I just didn't know yeah, what think, happened. He scored. I think he's hurt. At, are they scratching him? Because Chatfield's not been good. Yeah, I had not heard oh, a single injury thing. I think he just got scratched. So he scored, and now they're just Healthy. going with Chatfield. No way. Why would that be? He didn't play against Montreal, though, either, eh? Yeah, I think he's probably got something going on. See, this is what I mean. And it's a confusing year, too, because usually there are little reports and whatnot that help you piece together what's happening. Well, teams don't even know how to work the uh, 
that out situation right now. Game decision out injured day to day. It's got it's oh, got no geez. meaning anymore. Yeah, yeah he's right. not listed as injured, so he's just not playing. It's weird. Wow. It's a weird year. It's a weird, weird year. And I mean the the Outside of Dallas and Columbus early on at the beginning of the season, the NHL had done a decent job of trying to just kind of ignore Thought they had. But to a certain extent, there, and it's hit them hard at this point. I mean, look, the MLB and NFL reached points where people were genuinely wondering about how salvageable those years were. Yeah. The MLB was able to pull it out. Granted, looking back, they were playing in the summer. Yeah. The NFL somehow shockingly has survived this far, and in part because no I think they've gone to well, they've gone into the playoffs throughout this, and I think the playoffs really led to teams just shutting things down and like really yeah. bubbling up. Yeah. And so, I mean, the question is, can the NHL get to the spring? Can they get to March? And my guess is that there's too many, too much money invested. Well, actually, I take that back. Because if anything, there's less money invested in this league than there is the other ones. The thing that the NHL really, and the almost overwhelming reason for them to finish out the year, is the fact that the American TV deal expires at the end of the season. And if they shutter the year, it's going to affect the value of the next American TV deal more so that is, than it's already been affected by the pandemic. I think the value's already been affected. I think of all the big league sports, mm-hmm. the NHL is the least the most likely to not finish their season because of like you said, it has the least amount of money kind of flowing yeah. through it. Um, but I do think they'll they'll find a way to get it down. I think it's gonna be rough. I don't think they're gonna get fifty six games for every team. I think they're gonna have to cut some teams short in order to catch up other teams. People are asking me if they should pick up stars players in fantasy because uh they'll have a bunch there of games will be at the tail end. There will be made up games, so it makes sense, but I don't know. It's going to be a weird, weird season. I'd be surprised if every team gets 56, but I think you have to get every team to at least 48 or 50. Yeah, I think so too. I think they'll try to get each team to 48. Yeah. Uh, Because that that was the lockout season, right? 48? I think so, yeah. Yeah. So, nonetheless, it's been a shit week in hockey all around, I'd say. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... Um, yeah. That, that takes us perfectly into a very quick edition of Nico's Fantasy Corner. Because <laughs> like you said, it's been a shit week and uh, there's just no predicting anything anymore. You can't. I mean, it's. I say it's all about playing the odds and choosing the teams with the most uh, games. Half of my games in this remaining week have just been scattered. Yeah. No, it's. Uh, it really is just try to find a Canadian uh, on waivers. That's, that's the thing. It's the only thing I can say. Not a Montreal Canadian, just any player in Canada. So here's what's going on. The, the teams that are playing four games are the Predators, the Knights, the Bolts, the Caps, subject right to now. if if they're yeah, subject right to now. things getting canceled. The Bruins already know that they're playing three instead of four because the Sabres have everything shut down. Uh, the Senators play four, but I'm not even going to count them. They're not going to get you points. Um, the the two teams that I think are possibly interesting are the Jets and the Oilers because they each play the Senators twice. So I'm like, they could have some big uh, big weeks, even though they play three times. Um, so here are the players that are less than 50% owned that I think could be worth looking at. Um, Kalorn and Palat could be the interesting pickups. Uh, they're both on that first power play for the Lightning. The Lightning have a, a bit of a tougher week. They're playing a de- more defensive teams, but um, Kalorn and Palat or something. Uh, unless you want to grab Pat Maroon, hope he gets a big penalty game. You know, <laughs> just a nice big uh, 15 minute. I picked up Jordan Greenway in part for that reason this week, and he then he just didn't play. 
Just didn't play, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Predators do play four. Uh, Mikhail Granlin had played 24 minutes in their last game as a forward, which is pretty insane. What? Yeah, and he, and he had it's a goal. Connor McDavid minutes right yeah, there. Yeah, so maybe he's a pick Mid-2000s Ilya Kovalchuk minutes right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, uh, that's Spezza and the Senators days minutes right there. <laughs> that's not. Spencer was always a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry, Jason Spencer. Uh, Pooley RV, Pooley RV. I don't know how you pronounce it, but uh, he's he's gonna have a good week next week, I think. So he's w- worth a look. Um, Cop is a hot guy right now. I don't see that continuing, but like I said, the Jets have an easy week. Uh, there's some interesting defensemen to look at. Justin Schultz. I mean, the Capitals technically play four times. Justin Schultz could be a good defensive pickup. Um, I still think Alec Martinez, if the Knights play four, though, I don't think they're actually going to play four, though. They they have a coaching staff that's just doesn't know how to stay safe. Um, Ekholm, Chara, there's not a whole lot. Hey, by the way, Mike Smith is almost back. So have fun with that. I mean, that's still fewer guys than last week. So Exactly. I and I don't that. feel good about any of them. <laughs> I, I don't think this is a week for waiver pickups. I don't think this is a week. I mean, fantasy is in a bad spot right now. Yeah, not great, not great. Well, nonetheless, thanks for joining us here in this week's edition of the Kanako Heads podcast. I hope next week I'm going to need a little less wine to get through this episode, but I appreciate you all for sticking with us. Till next time, and hopefully another Canucks win. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe.